I'm Ben Klunt. And I'm Stephen Brown. In 2019, we started this podcast as an accountability tool for our health and our business goals. Through our discussions, interviews, and sharing of our successes and difficulties, we've learned we have a passion for leadership. In 2020, we're striving to grow our own leadership abilities by focusing on learning from great leaders in business and life, and continue to share our successes and struggles on this journey. We'll continue to have raw and candid conversations while sharing our own insights and experiences with our goal being to grow as leaders and as people. You're You're listening listening to Ordinary to Extraordinary. I get feisty and other days I'm tired. Shall we get going? Shall we welcome? I think we got going already. Hey everybody. <laughs> All right, so today we have a special interview. I'm excited about this one. So Ben and I have Philip Tyler with us and I referenced this a little bit last week and I said I was excited about this. Didn't give you a name or anything. Philip's going to give us a story a little bit but just to give you guys a little bit of background, Philip has been in the Air Force, he's been a corrections officer, vice president and president of the NAACP Spokane chapter currently just has tons of things going on also has a unique insight into mental health which obviously is a focus of ours this year so mm-hmm. I think we're going to have a good talk we'll see how long this goes and well mental health and leadership and you yeah. kind of hit both of them all of your background so let's start Philip just with do you want to give us your story so far like five minute version of where you came from what you've done and, and where you're at. Now. Yeah, yeah. So the five minute uh, condensed version, but I have to start with saying thank you both uh, to yourself and Ben for having me on. I mean, I think, I think it's an uh, absolute privilege. I've listened to the podcast. I'm a fan uh, of the podcast, and I think we need to have more of this dialogue uh, today, particularly in our current environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so Phil Tyler. Phil Tyler is a military dependent um, <laughs> or military brat, brat, as we called it, emphasis on the brat. Uh, my mother, <laughs> my mother and father met uh, after my mother sent her previous husband a Dear John letter when he was in Vietnam, and married an Air Force man. My my biological father, whom I didn't meet until I was 42, uh, was an Army man. Um, but my mom, like many a spouse, sent him a letter while he was off in Vietnam and married another man, an Air Force man. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, man was the man I knew of my father uh, until I was 42 years old. Uh, he taught me everything I knew uh, about politics and voting and, and being a good uh, citizen to your country, respecting your country, its leaders, uh, and, and praying for those leaders. Um, so I uh, joined the military like my father wanted us to do. I spent eight years in the United States Air Force. I was a law enforcement specialist uh, in the Air Force. Uh, spent tours over in South Korea, uh, down in California when they had their last um, space shuttle launch station down there, as a matter of fact. Uh, left the service, uh, came to work for Spokane County Sheriff's Office. I started off as a receptionist. They called it then an office assistant. Uh, yeah. Office assistant three. I could type the hell out of some keyboards. <laughs> I could pour coffee like nobody's business. Uh, I could yeah. type 90 words a minute. Could. I don't know if I can do that today. But. <laughs> yeah. And, and during that time, I was applying for different jobs around the city uh, to be a police officer and had an opportunity to work for United Airlines as a flight attendant. Went to their academy in Chicago. Yeah, made it all the way through. 
and Spokane County Sheriff's Office called me uh, when I was going through the academy for a flight attendant. They said, hey, we have a job for you. And I said, okay. Went back to the uh, administrators at United and said, can I get a home base in Hawaii, Los Angeles, you know, Las Vegas, Dallas? And they said, New Jersey, Boston. <laughs> I said, I'll take the job in uh -huh. Spokane. I <laughs> uh, went to work for Spokane County uh, in corrections and exceeded through the ranks. Uh, was a sergeant within five years, was a lieutenant within 10 years. Um, my last stint was uh, operations manager for the jail there. Left the jail um, and started advocating for my community. Uh, I worked uh, with the NAACP uh, after the Trayvon Martin killing and talking to my mother. You know, she said, boy, stop talking about it and go be about it. So I, I, I joined up, became the vice president, rose to the rank of uh, president, uh, you know, brought our community together, uh, brought entities that people thought wouldn't exist, our police department in, uh, our Catholic brothers and sisters in, you know, that we weren't really engaging with prior to that. Uh, and I've stayed engaged in various uh, community aspects from our school boards to our uh, United Way to Salvation Army, who I currently still sit on their board, uh, and, and particularly mental health. So I lost my son. Uh, three years ago, going on three years to suicide. Um, so I'm a big advocate about that. And when I hear you speaking about mental health, uh, it's, it's really, really important. Uh, so working with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention currently hmm. on their campaign. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so much going on there, obviously. Let's start with the... Um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding with the NAACP and what the mission is versus what the portrayed mission is in the media and people's perceptions. So do you want to start with that? Yeah, and, and sort of break that down a little bit. Sure. And, and I want to preface this with saying that obviously Ben and I come from a place of ignorance when it comes to being a person of color, but we're absolute sponges and willing to listen and learn. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's half of the battle. But there's obviously the actions and the the follow through after the fact as well that's important. Sure, sure. I, I think you, you hit it right on right on the head, Stephen. I think if if you come to a conversation. And it's relational, right? We're trying to build a relationship. It's not a transaction. We bring you on our podcast. You tell us this. We thank you and you leave. This is about building a relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think when you go into that uh, conversation to gain information versus advantage, then things change, mm -hmm. right? Um, so the NAACP, you know, founded over 100 years ago, um, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored Persons. Um, um, ironically, and you might not know this, it was founded by uh, four white people and a black person, right? <laughs> um, its mission is really to fight um, uh, social injustice wherever that might be found, whether that's politically, uh, professionally, educationally, um, within the city, on a local level, state level, and a national level. Uh, the organization works as such. There's a national uh, level headed by a president. There's a state area conference headed by a president, and then there's multiple branches. Spokane is a branch uh, organization. Um, you know, its its purpose really is to be apolitical uh, and secular, right? We don't we don't uh, support any particular religion, uh, all religions. We don't support any particular politician uh, or, or or agenda. Mm. All of those uh, we we announce, um, but we align with those that are really supportive of our mission for criminal justice uh, and social justice. Um, about. Four years ago, the National replaced their president. It was the Dr. Cornell Brooks was the previous president. Wonderful, well-spoken, articulate man who was able to bring uh, together different groups that had a wide chasm together. Um, but four years ago, they wanted to change the way they were operating. And, and it coincided with the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, they wanted to be more um, um, agitators. Uh, 
uh, versus engagers. And, and you need to have both in an organization to be successful, right? The agitation brings lights and cameras and voices, healthy, right? right? Yeah. Uh, to things that otherwise wouldn't be brought to light. But mm-hmm. we all know that lights and cameras go off at some point. Yep. And when those go off, you need the engagers. Cornell Brooks was that. Uh, so when they moved away from that model, it just kind of uh, cascaded down, uh, even to our local uh, branch. And, you know, I was the, an engager of the organization. I was not a, a gentleman like to call out people. I wanted to call them in. Um, so I had some struggles uh, with our state area conference, uh, wanting us to be more out, um, wanting us to do more protest mm-hmm. uh, on these kind of things, um, less engagement with our law enforcement brothers and sisters, uh, less engagement with our politicians, um, white politicians. Um, but, you know, knowing the demographics of Spokane, like we all do, <laughs> yeah. that's who's in office. And if you want uh, laws codified or changes to, to things that may be systemic or problematic, you have to engage. Mm-hmm. Um, what, is, what is being seen now, uh, both nationally and locally, is, is they're being viewed as more or, or, or highly antagonistic uh, versus uh, engaging. Um, and I think that sets us up for this. And we, talk, we talked about this in, in a sidebar, this either or fallacy. Either you're 100% with us or you're 100% against yeah. us. Uh, and, and never does that really rational, or, you know, come to life. No relationship, friendship, or anything does that work like No, that. you know. So well, One of the things I've been bringing up a lot recently is similar to the, what did you call it, what fallacy? The, the Either or fallacy. Either or, and I call it yeah, like if-then if statements. So people will say, if you do this, then you are this. Or if you yeah. say this, then you are. And it's like, no, that's, it's not. It's, yeah. it's more nuanced than that. Oh, life, thank you. Life is lived in the gray area. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah. it's possible to support a cause. And I can relate to this from Irish Catholic background. So I 100% support the IRA's cause. 100% denounce the way they were doing it. They were blowing up innocent people. So it's like, no, there's, there's not an if then. It's not that, hey, you're a terrorist because you support them. I support the cause. I do not support the, the, the actions trying to yeah. get there. And I think this is where we get currently in the This US, is where we are presently, mm-hmm. right? You, you, can, you can be a supporter um, to say that I do value black lives, just like I, matter, just like I value white lives or, or Native American lives or Marshallese lives. Um, and it doesn't mean that I'm against every other person, right? If, if, if those, particularly in this city right now, uh, and this is no offense to any of those out there that are doing the work that they think are important, but I think uh, a lot of those that are doing the work out in the city right now have co-opted uh, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, to change it into their own agenda and what they want to get done, mm-hmm. right? I think if you were to ask them what the first three tenets of the Black Lives Matter uh, movement was when it was first founded uh, by the three women, they probably couldn't tell you that, right? Um, but, but one of the top tenets is that we want to recognize both our commonalities and our differences and celebrate those things, right? And one of them is, you know, we, we advocate for the freedom and justice of black people by extension, all people. Right? We can all get down with those kind of statements, yeah, right? Totally. You know, but, but that's not what they're saying. They're saying, you know, uh, no justice, no peace, no racist police, as if a profession is racist. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Right. Uh, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Or, or if if a politician doesn't vote in alignment with them, which is what democracy is, right? You get to yeah. choose who you want to vote for and what <laughs> you want to vote for. My father taught us that. Um, then you're racist. Yeah. Right. Or you're Marxist or whatever the opposite mm-hmm. side of that 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 yeah. coin, same coin is. Um, 
So, you know, the, the very thing that we need, you know, when I was the president of the NAACP, you know, I had, uh, I continued our relationship with our law enforcement. We never have had, uh, not had a relationship with our law enforcement here in Spokane, NAACP, mm-hmm. right? Um, it it, it might have been heightened uh, because I was more of an engager, but the reality is during that same period of time, people were making threats to our organization. And I'm not talking about the, the false claims that happened prior to, with our old president. Yeah. Um, I'm talking yeah. about real, real life claims, real flyers posted on our doors at the community building and those kind of things. Now, having a uniformed officer in there is preventative. Yeah. Having an officer in there that's in plain clothes is preventative, right? Because if something were to jump off, he or she is there. Yeah. Is is there to aid you? Why wouldn't we want that? Yeah. And when we asked them to investigate, you know, it was so they're supporting your cause. They're there to protect you and right. protect your rights. They're 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 not supporting a cause, Ben, because when, when we when we do that, we're saying because enable you to go with your cause. Yeah, you know, yeah. They're they're supporting protecting their community, mm. and I'm but one part of the community. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. If if we if we make it binary, my cause versus your cause. Yeah. You know, and Spokane does a really wonderful job of that. Mm-hmm. Spokane does a good job of, of making everything binary, black and white. Yeah. The city it's was named after a Native American tribe. Yeah. But yeah, we always yeah. talk black and white. Doesn't that doesn't make sense? Mm-hmm. Right? We have a large population now of Marshallese uh, uh, immigrants. We have a, a population of our Sikh brothers and sisters, you know, that are growing Muslim, you know, uh, Alaskan uh, uh, indigenous folks. Yeah, a lot of you know, Russian, different yeah. Russian yeah. Canadians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked with, with a friend of mine who was a, a border patrol agent, and the largest group of, of illegal immigrants, if you want to use terminology, was Canadians. <laughs> Overstaying their time here. Seriously. It, seriously. Those Canadians, they're so dang friendly, you can't you don't get mad at them either. Too. Yeah. Well, that's the same I, in, when I came here. So. I came working for a company that was full of British people, right? So the the concept was British soccer. And we had a lot of overstays. We had people that would work for three years legally. And then they would be like, well, I don't want to go home. So they would stay illegally until they got married. Um, Similar to what you're talking about. Yeah. And then I also found, I used to get made fun of in Chicago by the British people because I completely embraced American culture. You know, I I, I like country music. Mm. I, I do all these different... and. I, I consider myself American. You assimilated. I, yeah. Oh, boy. I consider myself American. <laughs> I, I'm still Scottish, but I consider myself American. Well, and they think you don't have an accent anymore when you go home. Yeah, they make fun of me back home. But I think your American accent now. Okay. Tribalism is natural. It's, a, it's natural to try and seek out like, people that are like you and people that have similar backgrounds and cultures. But I think when you create these silos to where... I'm Irish Catholic, I'm white, I'm Salish, I'm black, whatever it is, it's like, this is my community, and it's like, no, you got to zoom out and look at this all over. We're all a community, right, to yeah. your point. Oh, absolutely, yeah. We, well, we are the Spokane all ingredients in the recipe that makes Spokane, and too. Yeah, absolutely. That makes the USA, it's, it's a melting pot. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I used to believe it was a melting pot. Um, I don't any longer because I don't think we've been able to turn the temperature up enough to, melt. to create that <laughs> melt, right? We've, we've cooled. And, and by cooling, it is by separating ourselves into these factions, right? You got East Coast, West Coast, mm-hmm. Southern, Northern, right? You, you got, um, my parents are from Oklahoma and Arkansas, respectively. My father's passed now. But one of the things he told us before we moved up here uh, to the Pacific Northwest, he said, boy, he said, be careful. He goes, down South, they'll call you a nigger and tell you where you can and can't go. Up north, you won't find out till you get in an argument with someone. Ah, uh, hmm. 
Isn't that something? Because, because of the two different uh, 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 regions. But again, so, it, you know, it can't be a melting pot if you haven't turned up the temperature, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to get uncomfortable, yeah. right, in order to really make that, that, that heat mm-hmm. uh, uh, go up uh, to change wow. it into a melting pot. So. Well, Interesting. And, and I guess you can't really get it to that temperature with this cancel culture that we have going on just now either. Where <laughs> well, it depends you, on what temperature you you're aligned with. something that misinterpreted, so we're going to shut you down. You're canceled. You're not going to be on TV. You're not going to. Can we cancel cancel culture? Oh, I'd love can to we cancel. Can we just do that, right? It's, it's, it's infuriating off button. to watch. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, someone asked me about that. I want to go back to something you stated earlier because I think it's interesting. I think there's more to it that we haven't really unpacked yet. You, you, we were military and law enforcement. And your mom called you out, which I love. So I already respect your mom. I haven't even met her, but I like her already. And said, okay, basically do something about it. What was it that she wanted you to do something about? So what when, was it that? Yeah, I when the Trayvon was, Martin uh, killing happened, you know, I was talking to her all the time. I had two sons at the time, right? And, and it, we, we would always have the talk, right? Black folks have to have the talk, right? And if you don't know what the talk is, it's, hey, whatever your son's name might be. My sons were Devin and Dalen. Um, make sure you're not out past 11 p.m. up on a South Hill in a car full of four brothers with hoodies on and sweatshirts. If the police stop you, make sure you're respectful, keep your hands where they can see them, X, Y, and Z. That was the talk, mm-hmm. right? And, and my boys knew the officers, troopers, agents, you know, uh, mm-hmm. deputies, and they were like, why do we need to talk, Dad? You know, they, they know us, we're cool. I said, but the one that doesn't, I don't want to have to have, get that call as a father yeah. that said you ran or you had a hoodie on. And so I was talking to my mom about that over and over when the Trayvon Martin killing happened. She said, boy, is that all you're going to do is talk about it? She said, you got a platform. You know the officers. You know the elected officials. Go do something. And I said, okay. Mom's calling me out. Not only getting boots to the asses, but your mom. Yeah. I know, seriously. (laughs) Of all the people, too. It's always the moms. Yeah. And so so I I joined the organization, NAACP, and my, my goal was to say, let's not have what's happening around the nation seep into Spokane. Mm-hmm. And, and many, many people don't know this because it's been a while now, but we had the first Black Lives Matter rally when I was the president mm-hmm. of the organization in 2016. And it was after multiple killings of, of young black men and after the multiple killings of police officers culminating in the five officers that were killed in Dallas, mm-hmm. protecting those for doing the very same thing they wanted yeah. to do, protest. And so I said, let's have this you know, rally along with other community members. And we did. And one of the things that I wanted to make sure I did in that rally was to, to bring this community together and solidify it. And, and what I mean by that is at the end of the rally, and I said, if you believe that um, lives lost matter, you'll follow me. Didn't tell them what I was doing. And I marched from the front of the courthouse to the law enforcement memorial. At the law enforcement memorial, we read the names of all the five officers that lost their lives in Dallas. Everyone fell silent. Everyone interlocked arms. Everyone was supportive. There were no chance of no justice, no peace, no racist police. It, and it was a wonderful showing of what Spokane, what our community mm-hmm. uh, can truly be. Mm-hmm. So you, I was looking at your LinkedIn, like I said, and I saw you were Ferris grad. Absolutely. Go Saxons. Yeah. So you've been here for a while. I have been. So you've seen the community change. I have. Good, bad, or indifferent, right? All. So, and, and I'm going to ask you and kind of, so with regard to race would be one of them. How have you seen it change? But then just in general, I mean, Spokane, have you, how have you seen it change yeah. as a community, right? And you know, we asked people this on other podcasts. Yeah. 
in another interview. When I was a teen uh, in Spokane. Interesting to have your perspective. When I was a teen in Spokane, uh, going through high school, Chief Terry Mangan was the police chief. Hmm. Um, He brought in good policies and principles, but he also brought in some very horrible policies and principles. And one of the things were, was he wanted to root out gangs and gang violence. That's not a negative. That's a positive thing in our community. Um, However, uh, he had his officers, if you were in groups of three or more black men wearing athletic equipment, you were stopped and field interviewed. I don't know how many times I was stopped and field interviewed uh, by Spokane police officers, but I didn't get a negative impression of them Mm -hmm. growing up and going into the service thereafter and then coming back. Um, So when I left here, I had a bad experience with our Spokane police officers, went to the military, became a military police officer, came back to Spokane, um, met many a police officer, was testing for police officer jobs, and had positive interactions. My family met them, my children met them. Um, and so that relationship started building and building and building. Again, it wasn't transactional. Hey, I locked my keys in my car, officer, can you come help me get them out? Okay, here you go, Phil. Thank you. Shake hands. Go about my business. Transactional. It was more like they'd be driving through the neighborhood. I'd wave. They'd pull into my driveway. Hey, you're someone to sit on the motorbike and push the lights? Much to the chagrin of my neighbors, you know, and siren. But that's how you build relationship. That's not transactional. Um, when I was the president, uh, we were developing these, these relations. You know, they had just entered into uh, um, an agreement with the DOJ, our department did after the auto Zim uh, situation, voluntarily to make these changes. We made such wonderful strides in those changes uh, uh, to, to police reform. Mm-hmm. And then something happens, right? And our something is, is George Floyd, yeah. right? And, and, and because we'd seen it many times before. I told you we had it in 2016. Mm-hmm. And we didn't, yeah. we didn't get to the point where we were today. But something touched the nerve of the nation this time and had and, and moved it well off the mark we had before. So relations were, were 30-something years ago, you know, 40-something years ago now, uh, for me, weren't that positive. And those years in between became positive. And then within the last uh, couple years, have begun, become separated again. Interesting. I think, and this is purely opinion, I think not that what happened to George Floyd isn't tragic. I think it just came on the back of COVID and people being locked up for multiple Emotions are high as it is. People were already in a bad spot. And this might lead into talking about mental health in a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, I just think there was so much angst already collectively that people wanted to rally behind something. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't go places. They weren't able to go to their favorite bars, restaurants, sporting events. And I just think it came on the back of a bad time for mental health. And it was like, now we well, can Well, we're also politically something. at one of the most divisive periods of time we've probably ever been at, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's I your so either there's, or thing. I think you put those things together. You, you put a pandemic and a precedent uh, that has really, you know, forced us to have this if then or either or fallacy right mm-hmm. uh, you're either with the president or you're not i mean there's not much in between yeah which right is not a good e- even though i say and, and my parents raised me um you know focus on your local elections those are the ones that are electing appointing your police chief those are the ones that elect your share those are the ones that put in place ordinances that are going to mm-hmm. impact you on mm-hmm. a daily yeah. basis and and my mantra as the president was always of the NAACP was stop being distracted by the White House and pay attention to our house Spokane yeah. Yeah. our community I love well, that and you think about the policy that's enacted here is the one that can impact your daily life whereas, every day whereas policy that's actually enacted on a federal level Okay, so you pay a little more in tax, you pay a little less in tax, really, is what it's going to come down to. 
at the end of the day. But those two things create that perfect tempest, you know, the, yeah. the yeah. COVID uh, and, and the political strife. Mm. And, but, but we, we, we couldn't is, control that. I've said this before on the podcast. It's like, it's the whole idea of grace and love. It's like, we just need more people oh, being a little more graceful and a little more loving, right? It's like, yeah. Not everything has to be a fist fight. Every time you, I say something you don't like or you say something I don't like. You want to like, you, why don't you instead just come give me a hug and say you don't agree. But you can't <laughs> hug now because COVID. Because of COVID. But, you know what? <laughs> screw COVID. <laughs> Six foot hug. Yeah. But, but here's what's so crazy about the if, then, or the either or fallacy. Um, now we have kneeling or standing for the national anthem. Yeah. And it's an either or fallacy. Right? I was raised in a military family. I stand all the time. I stood and tears rolled down my eyes when they gave my father a military send-off and we saluted him at a national cemetery. I will always stand for the national anthem. Right? Um, that doesn't mean I'm against uh, those that yeah. don't because that's, that's what freedom affords you. Mm-hmm. But let me give you an example of how, of how far we've gone with this either or fallacy. You know who Eamon Bundy is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was the villain. He was the foil to, to uh, uh, progressives mm-hmm. uh, because he had the, the mayor uh, refuge standoff and he had the militia backing him and, and the Matt Shays and et cetera, et cetera. He comes out recently and says, I support the funding of the police and the Black Lives Matter movement. Now he's upheld as a principal man. You're like, wait, what? Yeah, right? No, no, I, I don't say that, but you have those that, that with, with an agenda saying, yeah, see, he's a principal man standing on his principle. He agrees with us. Conversely, Greg Popovich the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's been a, a champion uh, to those with, with, with a certain agenda, right? Mm-hmm. Um, speaking out against the president, speaking up uh, for Black Lives Matter. He stood for the national anthem at his basketball team. Now he's getting vilified. But he's, a, he's uh, from it, a military background, correct? He, he's from the Air Force Academy. Yep. But he's getting vilified. This is that either-or well, fallacy. This, it, the sad part is that is some of it is dependent on to what level of exposure you have in terms of how many people, how many eyes are on you, right? Yeah. It's like because a Bundy can go sit in the middle of BFE and not be noticed, right? And then get media exposure. Sure. And this guy has, always has media exposure and he does one thing wrong and they're all over him, right? So, But, it, but is it wrong? You know, it, it shouldn't be wrong. Your conviction can be to stand but be supportive mm-hmm. uh, 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 against police brutality. That's There's nothing I, wrong yeah. with that. I thought we had freedoms, but I guess, yeah. And... Again, and I'm just point smiling over there now. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna jump on your gold microphone thing on the back end of what I'm about to say. But he's actually recording through a gold mic, just yeah, so you all know the gold this. mic thing. The um, voice feels melodious. Oh, what I've found is that often minority, in terms of the amount of people, not in terms of race or culture, but the minority of people that make the most noise get the most mm-hmm. attention, right? Mm-hmm. And I think with Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, we get these people that build up these huge followings and they have no qualification, no background, no context for what real life is like because they're making millions of dollars from just taking pictures and videos of themselves. And they put this stuff out there that maybe somebody else has written for them and it sounds profound, but it's also so divisive and it's a powder keg. Well, and facts don't matter. Yeah. You know, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, right? And, <laughs> and they'll say these things and do these things, and all of a sudden, people have this confirmation bias, right? So it's like, well, I have to agree with him because I follow him or her. Or, and all of a sudden, you've got this minority, which really is a minority. It's a loud minority, but it's people that have never really been in the problem or have true context of the problem. Yes. And one of the things that, if you want an example of this, was the... Uh, 
the qualified immunity argument. Mm -hmm. I mean, qualified immunity is absolutely essential for law enforcement to do their job. Does it need reform? 100%. Probably, yeah. Right? But basically it was abolish qualified immunity. And it's like, no, because if, if you're walking into a situation that's potentially explosive, you have to be able to act on your instincts in good faith and then maybe explain it afterward but not instantly be prosecuted for it, right? Yeah. But I've watched all these things online about qualified immunity and I'm like, you don't understand what qualified immunity is. Go and learn about this. And that's, it's like limited information given with an angle that is inflammatory and then people are off down the, the path of let's get rid of qualified immunity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you use the term... Uh, confirmation bias. Uh, I use the term uh, fan fear. And here's what I mean by that. Because we are on these mediums, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, etc., whatever else is out there, TikTok, I don't have all of them myself, <laughs> um, you develop fans. Yeah, at Philip Tyler, TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> you develop fans. And so your fans want to be supportive of you and follow you and then gain fans themselves. So out of fear, they will support whatever you put out there, hmm. even if they truly don't agree with it, because a lot of uh, them exist without the nuance. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and this is why I, I can't get down with cancel culture, because uh, it, it, it doesn't allow for nuance. If if the purpose of our coming together today then was to learn from each other, to develop a, a relationship right with one another we have to understand each other's stories you have to hear mine i have to hear yours oh i didn't know that you liked um uh, izod shirts i had no idea i do too <laughs> wow who knew right <laughs> i didn't know you had this a personal shopper at, uh, at, or, you know, whatever know, it might be, right he was looking at my shirt steve was right behind his mic to see what i was wearing i knew you didn't wear eyes yeah i know <laughs> as, as an example right um but if, you, if, but if you can't find any commonality in that, all we're going to be do, do is at each other's yeah. uh, throats. And I don't think it serves a purpose because it doesn't leave the nuance, mm -hmm. right? Uh, someone said, well, you're a black man, so you have to agree with, uh, um, you know, defunding the police. Like, I can't and I said, myself. Okay. Let's, let's, let's pause. First of all, I believe being black is nuanced, mm -hmm. right? When I was raised, you know, you were uh, paper bag black to blue black. And, you know, within that, that spectrum, some got treated better than others, not by the white man, by each other. Mm -hmm. So black in America, our existence has nuance to it. So don't broad brush me. Right. This is what we're saying society not to do to us. So don't do it to me as an ally or, or, or a friend mm -hmm. uh, that you allege to be. Secondly, don't answer for me. Let me speak for myself. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, um, secondly, if you mm -hmm. want equality or equity, turn the volume of your mic down a little bit so you can hear me. Yeah. Wow. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But right now, right now, those that don't want to hear your side of the story have turned their mic up so loud. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's no longer golden. It's pewter. And that's where the it's perfect summary come in. So, yeah. yeah, that's, wow. I don't know that I've heard something more <laughs> profound than that recently i don't know well it is i mean they're just screaming as loud as they can right it's like a little toddler that just keeps asking my two and a half year old until you give them the popsicle right it's like they scream for a popsicle and i don't give them i say go to timeout which we seem to not do with people right now one of the things that i find the most offensive and this is for me and this is going to sound really weird but 
the black community, when that term is used, and I was like, whoa, 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 there's only one voice coming out of this community of people, which is multiple communities over multiple states, countries. Yeah. And, and I'm like, zip it, codes in Spokane. Yeah, I totally. want you to flip this around on its head and think if someone said the white community, you'd be like, whoa, wait, are we talking white Catholic, white Protestant, white Marxist, Democrats, Republicans, red, blue, whatever. And it's like if somebody marginalized your voice to yeah. just one voice like that, you would be horrified and you would be outraged. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And somehow within all media, it's somehow okay when it comes to this argument. Isn't that funny? It's offensive to Isn't me. Isn't that funny? I, and I thank you for saying that because uh, um, we have always been termed. And what I mean by that is we were, um, we were uh, savages before they enslaved us. Then we were slaves. Then we were um, um, black, colored, niggers, negroes, coons. Uh, Pan-American, Afro-American, and now we're African-American and or black again. None of those terms we put upon ourselves. We were termed that, just like the black community. There's so much, again, context and nuance Mm. uh, to those those terms, even the term minority. And you did a wonderful job, Stephen. I want to applaud you. Uh, This I didn't get an opportunity earlier. You said not individual ethnicities or races, numbers. However, that term for us is, is, is it falls upon us as less than. You know, when you say I'm a minority, that means somehow I'm less than yeah. the others. I'm not. I'm not any less than you are. You're not any less than I am. I'm not. Even, and and I love that you said it's not about race or ethnicity. It's about not quantity. I can agree with that. Mm-hmm. But that's not how it comes out. Sometimes it's like black community. The the, the, the term is used to be some kind of a positive uh, 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 term, but it's not hmm. because again, there's nuance uh, to the that. black community. Yeah. And so uh, um, I'll give you a great example. One time, my wife and I. Uh, we're out at an event. It was a charity event raising funds. And a, a white woman asked my wife, hey, what does your husband want to be called? You know, black or Af- African-American? And my wife, who's a wonderful woman, knew how I felt about this, walked the woman over to us. And she said, hey, Phil, she would like to know what you want to be called, Phil. I mean, no, excuse me, um, black or African-American? I said, well, I want to be called Phil, but for you, you can call me Mr. Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Phil. That's funny. Well, you give away your punch. Yeah. You know, I, 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 <laughs> it's like a Costanza joke, darn it. You can call me Mr. Tyler. I like yeah. it. But so you're right. What did, how, and then how'd she... Did she call you Mr. Tyler after that? For the no, it was, there was a long pregnant pause. Mm-hmm. And she turned and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So I've, I only have one more question on this that I want to... And again, if you want to body swear over this, which I doubt you will, because you seem very gracious in it and answering, it's coming from a place of ignorance, because I want to know, from your perspective, the virtue signaling that goes on just now, right, especially from white people, do you think that helps or tarnishes things, and what's your take on it all just now? Because virtue signaling, whether yeah. we want to admit it, is happening on both sides. Absolutely. And it, it, it's a yeah. horrible thing to see. Yeah. I think I think it damages uh, the message. Um, I think it is not for the benefit of Phil Tyler or the black community. Um, <laughs> I think it is to make the individual who is uh, using his or her mic the loudest or their Facebook page the loudest. You know, look, I'm a business owner and I think this behavior is horrible against people of color as a white business owner. That doesn't really help me, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it makes you look somehow better self-righteous 
right? Yeah, you're um, using and it really, it really, for marketing purposes. Oh, you, yeah, you're using us to uplift yourself. And what happens is, again, what's your purpose? Is your purpose to call out the other entities that aren't doing it? Because then you're not building relation, you're not building community, right? You're just alienating. Those, all they have to do is harden their stance, pull back in, right? If your purpose is, if the end game is to truly find out why others are behaving a certain way, you don't need to do it through virtual, uh, virtual, uh, virtue signaling. Um, and it, it really, mm -hmm. it, it's like, hey. My white friends, you need to go read this book, White Fragility. Oh, but now they're saying this book really isn't the book to read. Yeah. This person was virtue signaling. She made money off the backs of really you because mm -hmm. she was calling out white people about how bad you were, um, but didn't use any of those millions of dollars of funds to support anything for me, black people. That's right. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so this is what happens with virtue signaling. But the house in the Hampton sure is nice. Oh, I bet it is. Oh, yeah. All the support <laughs> comes to you, not to me. And, and that could be any ethnicity, right? Whether it's mm -hmm. you know our, our, our gay community, Native American, whatever it might be. Um, so, don't do it. You know, and you see it mo most often, uh, Stephen, in these people just sharing memes. Or, or other stories. Yeah. Speak from your heart. Well, you talked to him. Mean, you hinted this with in terms of leadership titles. What would you say, engager or something? There was the people who yep. were like the the hoorah people, yep. is how I'm going to call it, and then people that, who actually are engager boots yeah. on the ground, get stuff done, right? We have agitators so many and engagers. People, yeah, agitators, mm -hmm. right? And I feel like we have so many agitators right now and no engagers. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people that. I mean, don't I? I don't know. Like the whole blackout your Facebook page. Right? Ridiculous. Okay, thank you. Ridiculous. I'm like, what is that doing? I don't Nothing. get it. Like, it's showing... Nothing. Okay. And, and, and here's what, what, what I have told people that have done that. If you're going to black out your page, and I told this to Gonzaga. If you're going to black out your page, then the next day, show me your executive committee. Yeah, show me your leadership yeah, board. Yeah, what are you actually doing And if it? your leadership board looks like, you know, Yeah, go look at the board of trustees paper, for GU. You're not helping me by putting a black symbol on your Twitter feed yeah. for a day. That's, That's well, virtue signaling. You know why they, everyone would, was doing it? Because they were worried about getting called out. I, I saw that. somebody I know that. post where those that aren't blacking out, we're tracking, like we're watching you. I'm like, and that makes no sense because doing something, if you, if you black out your page on Monday yeah. and then Tuesday uh, uh, put up a, uh, uh, an image of a funny pickle that looks like Larry Bird <laughs> or the tomato that looks like Larry Bird, what have you done? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what, what have you done? Yeah, you, you actually discredited you discredited what you did on Monday. It. That's the but statement for leadership, right? Yeah. Ben, you do a really wonderful job here at uh, fellow co-working, but right, everything that came before yeah. that but means nothing. The yeah. black square just, was a but. Yeah. So we're going to move on to mental health, but first of all, I want to say I want to move on things. to leadership. Mental health leadership. <laughs> we can do um, We were petrified, so we had a talk six to eight weeks ago about having someone on and having a discussion and we kind of came to the conclusion we can't win in this we're going to come out of this either looking bad or not having context and then you and I had our interaction online after you saw me defending the local business community right for the most part um, there was a I mentioned this last week there was a guy that was bashing on all his neighbours and not really being a, a his business neighbours business yeah. business owner and you sent me a private message along with a lot of people, but that's where I got, I was like, you know what? He feels gracious, he's, he's, he's 
eloquent and how he mm-hmm. speaks and I think we can we can get him in here talk to him and not look bad coming out of it and also give context to both our opinions and your opinions and, and, and meet in the middle so I got to give mad props and say thank you so much and thanks for the grace that you're showing us throughout all of this because I really I prefaced it but I think we truly are coming from a place of ignorance when it comes to asking some of these questions well, I've I appreciate that. Lived in Spokane my entire life, so I mean, it's, it's like I, don't, I gotta get out more. I gotta get out more. <laughs> okay, so on the leadership front, you yes, were sir. a lieutenant, correct, and president. So you were kind of uh, obviously public sector. Yes, sir. And then kind of public sector again, I guess. Public private. It's like so. What are some of the leadership traits that you've learned that seem to have the most influence? I'm sure you've grown, yeah, in your own leadership skill set, yeah. As you've started out in the military, worked your way up to lieutenant, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, my wife and I used to own a leadership uh, and communication uh, business called Wisdom and Words. And one of the things just answered one of my questions. What is wisdom and <laughs> <in> words? <laughs> and one of the things that we really learned, both of us, was that. Um, you have to be a dispassionate leader. And that means you can't be too high or too low. Mm. And you surely don't make decisions that impact either your people or your business or your corporations while you're in that high or low status, right? Emotional. Yeah. Um, that's really a key uh, with leadership. And the other uh, key to leadership is maintain these four tenets of leadership. Respect, specificity, uh, genuineness, uh, and empathy. Mm-hmm. If, if you can maintain those four and, and use high levels of, of those four things in any interaction you have, it's going to be successful. It, it really is. And, and I'll give you an example. Specificity. You have children? Mm-hmm. Two and a half year old. Three week old. Okay. So I have children too, and I'm going to help you out when you do start to have children. Okay. I would tell my son this all the time, and he was in the 12 year old range. I say, hey boy, go down and clean your room. He said, okay, dad. He'd rush down there. Six minutes later, he'd emerge from the basement. <laughs> all done. And I say, well, hold, hold on, son. I trusted he did what his father told him, but I'm going to go down and verify. I'd walk down the stairs, grab a door handle, turn the door, and his room would look like Hurricane Katrina hit. <laughs> right? But, but he wrapped up his Xbox cords and put them in his shelf. That was clean to him. So I started changing and using specificity. And I use this in leadership. Hey, son, I need you to clean your room. And by that, I mean, pick up your cords, place all your dirty clothes in a dirty clothes hamper, bring up any unopened bags of Dorito, put them back in the kitchen, right? And make your bed. Yeah. You and don't like mice? See, this is what we've talked about. Communication. At and he'd go down day, there and I set him up for success. We don't do that with enough specificity and respect, right? Yeah. If, 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 if Stephen and Ben say, hey, we're going to do this uh, taping at uh, 2.30, Respect is, I know your time is valuable, and I know my time is valuable. I'm going to arrive here 10 to 15 minutes early, so if there's any communication issues or something like that, we do that, right? Genuous, genuineness is this. Hey, we had a conversation Thank about, God hey, I didn't show up late today. Having, having an opportunity <laughs> to have some discussion, and I reached out to him, um, not on Facebook to grab fans and support, because I could have done that and grabbed a whole bunch of your fans behind that, yeah. but in a private message to say, hey, our brother, I feel you. I'm supporting of you, you know, and then follow through with that. That creates genuineness, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and empathy is just understanding. This is you two both bringing me on here because you have empathy for me as a black man because you don't know what it is to live in my existence. I don't know what it is to, to be Irish. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know what it is to, to, to be a, a good looking white man with a beard. I can't grow a beard. Right. <laughs> well, do, do you know what it is to be Ben? <laughs> uh, no. 
<laughs> but you're number one, apparently. Yeah. For our radio listeners. Hello, Hitler sign. <laughs> <laughs> but, but those are the things I've learned in leadership. And really, yeah. it, it's about building relationships. So what is your wife's background? She is. Because you said you did the business together. So absolutely. Like, yeah. She, is a, she has a master's in business. Um, she worked in the construction uh, field as a safety manager. Um, she owned multiple businesses prior to us getting together. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an event planner uh, by trade, but now she's a realtor. Um, oh, really? She's just super talented. Very cool. Um, uh, but with all those degrees, she married me. So there you go. <laughs> and we all have our thoughts. <laughs> I always say the couple that trains together stays together. Oh, yeah. You guys get after it at the gym. Yeah, we do. We oh, do. yeah. You guys up at the same gym? Yeah. Yep. Well, when, when you can be at this point. True. Well, I, yeah, I haven't seen you back. I'm not, I'm not willing to go in there with a mask on. They, don't make you, they only make you wear it to get and You don't have to wear it while you're training. Okay. So, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least they haven't enforced that yet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just take it. We I, didn't say which gym that was, right? <laughs> and I, uh, I put it around my water bottle when I'm training. But yeah, there's, if you want to wear it when you're training, you can. And if you yeah. don't, you don't. So it'd be good to see you guys back in there. Oh, we'd love we're to. all getting after it again. Don't know until 6 a.m., which is kind of, throws a wrench in my morning a lot. So okay. You can still drive out to Coeur d'Alene if you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think what you're seeing in, in some of these things is a lack of leadership now now yeah. uh, the black lives matter movement in general so I was is gonna described ask, I was gonna as a leaderless people. movement totally and, i've had that so discussion so many times the, with people the issue with that though ben is the term leaderless means that you know everyone's going willy-nilly whatever they want it's truly leaderful meaning each individual entity of it has a leader now depending on whom that leader is makes it good or bad does that make sense? But I don't think you have the leader like you had back with MLK. Um, I don't know if there's you a mean common, a national leader? Yeah. No, no. I mean, this is a very much a national cause, it would seem like. It started off as a national cause a national and cause. then splintered and then got co-opted. Mm-hmm. So define co-opted. Co-opted means when it's, when it's captured I mean, by the, the uh, populist mainstream groups, then it's set along an agenda for that mainstream group. So they develop their own right. Kind of the, the, it's the, been weaponized, politicized. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. With regards to a leader, a national leader, um, even when MLK was was in his heyday, sixties, there were several other uh, leaders, and and you needed that. You couldn't have yeah. one leader of a black community, right? He was a black minister. Uh, they were they were black folks that didn't have faith uh, that were still leading. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, my my greatest hero, John Lewis, who just passed, had confrontations with Stokely Carmichael. Uh, in SNCC, the Southern, you know, uh, um, um, area conference uh, that he was in, but you needed that, right? You needed the contrast to know that I like this, and if something pushes against me, I dip down here and go, I don't really care for that. Stay down there for a little bit, examine it, but then come back up to what yeah, you like, growth. right? You you can't have an ind- singular individual doing that for you because again, there's too much context and nuance uh, to what it is we want, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you had MLK, you had Malcolm X, you had John Lewis, Stokely Carmichael, go on, you go on down the list. Fred Hampton, um, they were all during that same period of time, and we all drew off all of them uh, to where we are today. My parents taught me as we grew up. When we look in the mirror as black boys and black girls, we, we see a little bit of Malcolm and a little bit of Martin mm-hmm. every time, you know. And depending on who we engage with, one comes to the surface, you know. The Native Americans call it the, the white wolf and the black wolf. You know, you got to feed them both, you know, to have balance. You know? <laughs> I think I see often. I've not heard that. That's one way to put it. And again, it's white people, and they'll quote uh, Malcolm X, right? And 
they lack so much historical context because as Malcolm X got older, he became less radical and more against violence and Correct. actually started to embrace more and more Martin Luther King's yeah, teaching. Humanity. Yeah, humanity. Yeah. Once and, he made his Hajj to and, Mecca. And that's he, the part that's left out so often and forgotten. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned John Lewis. I watched. I was watching a soccer game and I'm really glad that they interrupted it to show him crossing the bridge the last time. And that's one thing that I actually do agree if they want to change the name of it because it's named after a KKK leader. Yeah, I saw that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was... The bridge. Uh, <laughs> and see, I disagree. Um, John Lewis uh, marched across that bridge, got beat the first time he tried to mm-hmm. with, with, with hundreds of others because he wanted to gain people the right to vote. If the town of Selma, who, which looks exactly like it did in 1965, I've been there and marched over it. If they want that bridge to be changed, then they'll put it on their ballot in Selma and they'll vote for it. Agreed. That's what John Lewis fought for. Not for us to be over here saying we should change it. N- nothing against mm-hmm. your, your stance on that, because I agree. But it's, it should be decided by that community, yeah. right? Yeah. That community should decide whether they want to change that name. Next and then the reality it. is, it wasn't one singular person, John Lewis, and he would tell you this, he told us this on our pilgrimage, it wasn't him alone that did it. He had hundreds and thousands that were watching, there was no Facebook, Right, yeah, watching on the news to see this that made this change that forced the president then to sign that Voting Rights Act. Mm-hmm. So it would be uh, an offense, an affront to 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 the late uh, representative for us to just say we demanded to be changed. No, let's use the process he use fought for, yeah. legislative mm-hmm. process, vote. And if they want it in Selma, then by all means. And that's a tribute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that right. would be that's a, tribute, a tribute, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, so, I like your view on that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, and again, this is obviously a sensitive subject. Your son, how did that come about? How old was he? And what are you doing now since to... And, and let's talk about the cause. Yeah. You're, you're, I saw your fundraising on Facebook. Yes, sir. And so yes, on. sir. So let's, let's get into that a little yeah. bit. The mental yeah. health side of things. So my son, um, his name is Devin. He was 22 years old. Um, he was a uh, wonderfully articulate... Uh, hard-working uh, young black man who did not want to be the statistic, right? The statistic is um, he had a black father and a white mother who didn't survive the relationship. Um, so now he was going to flounder and go off into prison and these kind of things. That's what it's, you're, you're taught, you know, mm-hmm. societal. Um, he was fighting so hard not to perpetuate that stereotype. Um, the day of uh, his suicide, it was funny, I was uh, at a city council, I'm, I'm really passionate about getting involved in local, like you talked yeah. about. These are things that are going to affect us day to day. So I was down at city council testifying um, on the ban the box initiative. Ban the box meaning if you're going to hire someone for a job, you don't disqualify them because they had a previous conviction. You allow them to come in and interview, and if, you know, let's say you're a nursery and my conviction is child molestation, well, no. You're not going to get a job. Yeah. But, but you don't just X me out to say, have you ever been convicted of a crime? Check. So I was down there advocating that everyone should get a second chance, right? If you have served your time and you are now free of that, you shouldn't have a life sentence by society. So I was down there testifying. So my son, uh, as he would on a normal day, at this point he was a manager for, for the local McDonald's on South Hill. He knew dad had an affinity for chocolate chip cookies. So every day after work, he would stop by with a dozen chocolate chip cookies. We'd sit on our front porch, chop it up about life, what's going to happen in the future, what are we doing, X, Y, and Z. So he stopped by. We weren't home. He sent me a text message. It's still on my phone to this day. 
He said, hey, Dad, or Pops, he called me. Hey, Pops, stop by uh, to, just to talk with you. I know you're busy and probably not at home. I dropped some cookies off on your porch. I love you. And I shot a message back. Hey, son, love you too, down at City Hall. That was the last message we ever had together. Mm. Um, because that evening he went home and he recorded several videos, um, not of the incident itself, but leading up to the incident and just had this... Uh, prophetic, poetic uh, conversations. I'll share them with you at some point, you know, now that we're developing a relationship. And, and it just, it will just bring tears to your eyes how profound this young man was and, but how much hurt he had inside. Uh, one of the things he said in the video was, you know, dad, I think I haven't done enough on this planet to heal it. You know, I could have, you know, uh, donate a million dollars to charity if I had a million dollars, but it still wouldn't be enough because people are still angry and upset and I can't solve that. And it's like, you're 22. You're not supposed to be able to solve those things for us. But, but that's the kind of language he had. He was full of love, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. full of love. And he, he talked about, you know, I don't want anyone to construe this as, you know, my mother and father who, who allowed me to buy a firearm had anything to do with this, have no guilt. Mm -hmm. Just a wonderful, wonderful soul. Mm -hmm. So I come home uh, from the city council testimony and just relaxing in the house the next day and my neighbor, uh, her name is Cindy, uh, she no longer lives across the street from us, but she did text me and she says, hey, what's going on at the house? I see a bunch of fire trucks and sheriff deputies. I'm like, I don't know, text my son, no response. Text my son, no response. Oh now, call my son, no response. And about that point, as a parent, you know. You start to freak. You yeah. start to freak out. You know, the, the, the little hair on my head that I had stood up on end. You could feel it right now. Like, yeah. And so I thought, I was five blocks away. He was living in my first home, and I was living with my, my current wife. Mm. She was at work. So I jump in my car, and I rush over there, and I look. And I, you know, working in the profession, working in the field, you see yeah, you know the, 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 the first responders that are there. You know something is up. You have a, two patrol cars. You have a fire truck and you have an ambulance. Mm -hmm. You know something's up. And there's people standing outside and they're not gaining access to the garage. So I walked up on the scene and uh, our fire chief was there, Brian Schaefer, and, and our uh, captain, Tracy Mido, was there. They knew me. And so I walked up there and they, they immediately grabbed me and hugged me and they said, don't. And I said, not so nicely. Let me go. I got to go see. And, and the deputy came out and he said, hey, um, your son's passed. Uh, he, he took his life. And, you know, my, my knees got weak. Um, I can't even imagine. I, I was speechless for a minute. And, and then I said, you know, I, I, I want to see. And, and the, the chaplain came out. His name is Mark Smith. Wonderful, wonderful uh, sheriff chaplain. He said, no, Phil, you don't. And, I, you know, obviously I argued. I yelled. And I said, yes, I do. And called my wife and I said, hey, come here, uh, you know, Dalen uh, shot himself. And she was in a board meeting, came out, didn't think, thought, oh, he must have accidentally done it. He's got a new firearm. And she rolled up and it was what it was. So we go inside and, you know, everyone's in there trying to console us. And there's no consoling yeah. a, a person at that point, right? No. Um, his mother actually found the body. They worked together. Um, she was calling him because he was late for work and couldn't get a hold of him, came to the house. Had a key to the house, went in the front door, yelled for him, went into the garage, and there he was beside his favorite motorcycle. Um, so I'm sitting there, and, and I'm just demanding to see him. I need to, I need to make it real. It's, it's surreal. This is a surreal feeling mm -hmm. for a parent. And, and no one could console me, and, and 
you know, I was getting more angry and more angry. Not at them, just the situation. I didn't know yeah. how to. I didn't know how to process it. And they knew that there was one person that I would trust, uh, and that was the sheriff, Ozzy Konezovich. And so uh, they took my phone. They, my phone had his number on it. They called the sheriff, uh, put me on the phone. And he said, "Phil." I said, "Yes, sir." He said, "I love you." I loved you, sir. He said, "You trust me?" And I said, "Yes, sir." He says, "I've done this for decades. You don't want that to be the last image of your son." I need you not to go in there. I took a deep breath and I said, okay. And, uh, hmm. you know, the, 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 what, what, what they did allow, um, thanks to the deputies and, and uh, the fire chief was when they took the body uh, from the garage, they allowed myself and his mother and uh, his brother and sister, you know, to, you know, to be there when they took it out to, for us to have a few words uh, and pray over it before they, you know, took the body away and, you know, the worst, absolute worst day of my life. And I go home and I, and I wanted to, you know, uh, crawl into a ball first. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I own firearms, multiple firearms. And, and, you know, there was thoughts, uh, 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 in my head, you know, I, I can't, my, my thoughts were, I can never be at peace till I'm with my son again. Um, but you know, I had a great wife, you know, who, who helped me. And then I had uh, two two great friends, and I have to mention their name and and their foundation, uh, Philip and Pamela Martin, and they have a foundation called Radical Hope. Uh, Radical Hope was was created after their son Chris Martin uh, took his life by suicide at Gonzaga six weeks prior to my son. Mm -hmm. I met them because uh, my supervisor knew that I was a compassionate, emp empathetic uh, person, and told me to meet them at this uh, uh, off-campus residence where Chris had taken his life, and help them collect their stuff. Uh, that day when they were collecting their stuff, I was standing um, down in the living room. I had my sunglasses on. It was a sunny day. And I was really trying to hold back tears because I, I had driven them from the airport and uh, uh, the home. And I asked them how they're doing. And, of course, the father said, this is the worst day of my life, Phil. You know, and, and the wife really didn't speak at that point, Pamela. And I took him there, and, and we just exchanged stories. And I remember standing down there with the chaplain in the living room and, and, and seeing this, this wonderful, vibrant, 19-years-old life reduced to uh, eight boxes in a duffel bag nice. and and I just stood there and cried I'm telling you and the chaplain saw me and he went upstairs and told Philip and Pamela and they came down and they asked could you pray with us and we just locked arms with the chaplain and we all prayed so I knew that I needed to get a hold of Philip and Pamela in order to get through what I was going through because he understood mm -hmm. called him he, he called me right back we sat on the phone for hours, um, he allowed me to cry, um, and and here's the here's the thing, especially in this current divided time. You know, the next person that called me was the first person that called me outside of my parents um, was a congresswoman, Kathleen Morse Rogers. Hmm. We had a relationship. She called me, and we stayed on the phone for hours. Uh, you know, I was sobbing, she was sobbing, and and my wife describes it as. Uh, two teenage lovers were at the end of the conversation. It's like, you hang up. No, you hang up. I mean, that's empathy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's friendship. And it, and it doesn't, it's not separated by R or a D. It is just genuine friendship. Yeah. And, and out of those two conversations, I said, in order for me to get out of this, in order for me to be mentally healthy, I needed to share my story. Mm -hmm. uh, so I turned to Facebook, uh, turned to the media and shared my story in hopes that parents or even family members uh, uh, that were going through the struggle knew that they weren't alone uh, <laughs> in this. And it was okay to, to, to as a man, 
you know, to cry and to, and to be weak in that moment, you know, and now well, I, what strength actually to, to be vulnerable and to cry. Really, thank you. I mean, it, it really yeah. is. And so now my purpose is to change this language, reduce the stigma. I don't see weak as, as a, 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 um, adjective that describes someone. I see weak as an acronym willing to express adult kindness, W E A K. <laughs> and if we can okay. do that, particularly as men, right in our hyper masculine mm-hmm. society that that proves that anyone else can 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 show mm-hmm. that kindness too so that's what i really advocate for now with the, with the with the uh, suicide foundation i want uh, mental health to not be in the shadows i want it to be okay you know my son will never know to this day because he always put on a good face you you know in 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 the black community we're told to put your mask on every time you go out of the house the mask on is you know speaking correctly dressed appropriately you know you know not you know calling folks out their name and these kind of things so we have to wear that mask all the time and that's a burden you know when we can't even be ourselves we can't be weak come on brother what you what you crying about Mm -hmm. you know you soft you know that's how we treat each other well and i'm not soft it makes it worse because then i internalize they're struggling and now you just told them that they're weak and stupid yes so now they're struggling even more yeah and then we do this thing called code switching Instead of saying I have a mental health issue or I've got some depression, I, you know, I'm just kind of tired. Yeah. You know, you, you, you're all right, man. You good? Oh, yeah, yeah, man. You know, I just got a lot of stress at work. Yeah. And, and that, those, that's just colloquialism slangs for I've got some issues, but mm-hmm. I'm not willing to say it as a man. Hmm. Sean Wheeler addressed that. Do you know Sean? Sean goes to our gym in the morning as well. Big guy, bald. He's a police sergeant. We had him in here a few months ago to talk. Yes, yes. You'll know who he is. Tattoos on his yes. legs and arms. So he talked about this and how law enforcement now is actually embracing, you know, hey, it's okay to cry, it's okay to be weak, it's okay to have feelings. Both law enforcement and military are doing that. And now a lot of former military are coming out and saying, we cried all the damn time. And those we were in such close quarters with these guys. And it was always, you know, outside of the military, it's like military people don't cry and and it's weakness inside it was always embraced and accepted and now the the law enforcement is embracing it because they Mm -hmm. were the polar opposite i don't know that we've we've had some pretty deep moments on the podcast before (laughs) but thanks for sharing that yeah Um, thanks for being strong beyond it and what a legacy you're 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 creating for your son by advocating for it as well Mm -hmm. that's that's amazing yeah i especially when you have kids and you think about that type of situation Mm. it's just like okay you're going to hug those two little breathe boys. For today, second, huh? Breathe for a second. Breathe for a second, right? Because yeah. mm-hmm. it's like, oh, that's the, I mean, that's a parent's world. Yeah. And we want you to. We want you to go, whether it's whether it's a spouse, or it's a girlfriend, or it's your wife, or your kids. I want you to go home and say, just hug them. Tell them you love them because you never know when that day comes. So you know, ask, you never know. With your son, I mean, you had cookies, it sounds like, on the front porch mm-hmm. almost every day or whatever. Yeah. It's did, no signs of mental illness? I nope. mean,. Just nope. in, as a father involved in this kid's life, like you thought everything was good. Yep. Yep. But, but look, I take responsibility because I raised him the same way my father raised me. And I didn't know any better until this. You know, you fall down. Well, get up. You, you're fine. You know, hey, you broke up with your girlfriend. Hey, man, you're a good looking man. You know, everything's going to be good. Don't, don't dwell on that. Don't, you know, don't, don't be sad about the way it. way everybody does. I mean, like, yeah. but, it's, but it's not, though. It's not. What we know is... When we use those terms the way everyone does it, it's not. You know, we have done it that way and we have to acknowledge our part in that. But there are segments of society that have been doing it the right way, you know, and aren't suffering, right? I see a counselor to this day, hmm. right? When I when I need that pickup. You know, I 
people say, hey, you're 52 years old, you, you, you got a great physique and you work out and all that. We need to work out our minds too, right? Mm -hmm. and, and part of going to counseling, part of talking about this, part of having this fellowship where I can talk about my emotions and feelings is strengthening my mind. And in turn, it's strengthening your mind because then you're gonna say, I probably have done some of that. I probably have said some of those same things and I have to be cautious with my words now and how I behave, you know? And so that's mm -hmm. huge for changing that. When we can make this, the, 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 the cool way to address stigma and mental health and suicide, people are gonna get on board with this. I mean, they mm -hmm. really are. And that's, that's my goal in life, right? I wanna make sure that every, shed, every tear I shed for my son is, is, is watering right uh the the seeds of a change in this world right and eventually those those tears are going to reap you know yeah. a, a good bloom Strong. uh right yeah so. you said you have a, a two two boys right yeah i have a 19 year old a 19 year old yeah. is he in school now or he's graduated he yeah he graduated early from ferris go saxons <laughs> took after his father <laughs> yeah no pride there huh yeah no pride yeah. so what's he up to now uh, he lives with his best friend from uh, elementary school. Uh, they just rented a, a beautiful home down on the lower South Hill. Um, he is a um, associate at Ross, and he works now, since COVID started, at Albertson's uh, Stocking. And he That's loves good. that job because it's yeah. busy. You know, he's finding out what essential uh, means, <laughs> you know, for, for, for a worker. So, yeah. but, you know, he, he, he same thing. He, he struggles. But he, but he, now we have those conversations, you know, when we're hurting and when we're down, we talk. It's interesting. I see more and more young folks, early 20s it seems like at this point, that are struggling with depression, anxiety, mental health, right? Yeah. And it's, I don't, I, th I think some of it's attributable, most likely, to comparison and faith, I mean, social media will say, right? And it's accessibility to information, which I don't think is always a good thing because information is falsified. Sure, sure. A lot of the time. But again, it, the, the burden rests uncommon. on the parents too, though. Yeah, you know, when, when, when we yeah. had this, this tragedy and we talked to other parents, my in-laws included, that's something they never talked about. And they knew people that had committed suicide, but they just didn't talk about it. You know, they knew people that were, quote, crazy, but, oh, that's, that's just Stephen. You know, he, you never mm -hmm. think someone's going to do it. You, you don't. And the, the fear or this misconception is if you talk about it, if you ask them, hey, are you, are you thinking about harming yourself? Oh, it's going to force them into suicide. No, it's not. Because that's what they want. They want someone to care about them enough so they can open up. I've always thought that when it comes to suicide, and this is kind of an oxymoron, I don't think I'm brave enough. I think when it came down to it, I couldn't. Um, I don't fear death. I'm, I have a really blasé relationship with it. I know it's the only damn thing that we can't avoid in life, right? Mm -hmm. It comes to all of us. But I also don't want to die anytime soon. Yeah. You know, and and the, the, the psychology of it, fascinates me it's like a morbid fascination i don't want to understand it but i really would like to understand it and yeah it's such a such a horrible thing but like i said i just have this morbid fascination with it like what's going what are they thinking yeah what's going through our mind what what was the breaking point like at what point did they decide this is it i'm doing it versus, yeah okay i can get help here yeah you know and 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 my son, Devin, had his plan all laid out. He had, he was a sneakerhead, right? He had every Jordan uh, oh, that you can imagine. That's what he spent his money That's on. That's my life. That's Steven. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. so you know what I'm talking about. So he had his plan made up his mind so well 
that he had all of his shoes laid down on his bed, notes to who he wanted to have them, hmm. his clothes folded, uh, his, his motorcycle was going here, his car was going here, everything to a T. So Here's photos clarity. of my ex-girlfriend. Say he that had again. clarity, like he had yeah. made his mind up. Yeah, he had, there, there was nothing that we could have done. Uh, I take that back. There probably is something that we could have done, but, but we didn't know. Here's what we didn't know. He sent a similar message to every one of his family members that day. And it sounded like, hey, just wanted to check in, just tell you I loved you. That wasn't unusual because we did that periodically. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, we live in a text-driven world, you see that text and you go, love you too. When we came together for the service, we all realized on that day, on this timeline, he had sent that. That was his goodbye. Hmm. And, And just chilled, chilled us. Right? And not a single one of our family members have erased those texts, you know. Does that give you mm. some peace knowing that he had clarity and that he had said goodbye in his terms? Yes. Yeah. The, the, the definitive answer is yes. The, the question you never ask yourself is why because you never get that answer. Yeah. Uh, um, but what I do understand is he's no longer hurting because he was hurting so much he wasn't willing to share that with us. But this is what he did then at the funeral service. We had families come up to us. There was hundreds of people that came. Uh, dozens of families came up to us with their young uh, sons or daughters and said, your son was at my house talking my son or daughter out of harming themselves weeks ago, months ago. Hmm. And, and it just, I just what, broke what? down. And I, said, and I said, why then, son? Mm-hmm. And, and I had to let that go as a parent, just strip away mm-hmm. that why. And, just, and, and, and again, watch his videos and listen to his words and know that he just felt the, the, the world wasn't a place for him because he couldn't affect the change that needed uh, Talk about to weight. be done. One of the reasons I say I'm not scared to death, I don't think we get all the answers here on earth. I don't know what comes after. You know, we all have our own beliefs and, and structures of how we think things are in our afterlife. Uh, I think we get the answers afterwards. And I just have to, I think you and everybody else needs to make peace with that somewhat and yeah stop asking mm-hmm. why just accept that you'll know why when you're supposed to know why yeah yeah and he's no longer hurting i, I have to i have to uh, believe that you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. <laughs> but thank you for asking I me mean, it's, it's a conversation that's always tough uh, uh for me um but every time i have a conversation with with individuals like yourself that really want to understand this is not you're not you're, you're, again like i said earlier this is not about advantage this is about gaining information mm-hmm. you take some of that burden from me mm-hmm. now i don't want you to hold that burden because it's a heavy heavy uh, burden to carry but it helps lighten me to to a degree mm-hmm. and then when you go share that you share a piece of that burden with someone else and when you reach out to your followers here through this podcast they take some of that burden on so uh, eventually we're, we're, we're lessening the burden on all of us and opening up for conversation mm-hmm. so i think it's a positive mm-hmm. even though it's painful absolutely. sometimes no, absolutely. Way to look at it and that actually just brought a smile on my face despite the fact that we're talking about such a heavy topic a terrible thing. Yeah. so let's talk about the foundations and the advocacy how can any of our listeners get involved or help yeah well well one of the things they can really do is they can go to the american foundation for suicide prevention um you can find that uh anywhere right now we're doing the campaign for our out of darkness walk uh the out of darkness walk ha- happens annually um, and it's really a place where people that have suffered from suicide, either thought about it, their loss survivors, friends, families, et cetera, can come together and realize they're not alone, right? Meaning let, let, you're stepping out of the darkness that you've lived under for so long to say, look around and say, there's others just like me. 
I don't have to suffer through this alone. There's someone that can understand uh, what I've gone through. And the Out of Darkness walk, walks with uh, different bead colors, like in Mardi Gras, if you've ever been mm. to one. And those signify, like my color is white. That means you lost a child. There's purple, uh, there's orange, there's mm. green, those violets. So as you're walking, you're seeing different people. Uh, and I've met the most wonderful people and not even knew they had a loss hmm. until those walks, hmm. right? So you can join those walks. It's obviously virtual this year because of COVID, uh, sadly, but it's more important now than ever. Stephen, you talked about it. Coming out of this pandemic, there is going to be such a huge uh, a need for mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I've worked many years in the, in the county. I've, I was here when, when uh, H1N1, uh, SARS, and those uh, pandemics happened. Coming out of those, we saw a spike uh, in suicide and mental health. Oh, really? We're going to see it again. We're going to see it again. Kids can't socialize. They can't go to school again. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we've, we just made a decision in District 81. It's going to cause uh, ramifications. And so it's more important than ever to be involved in those uh, those kind of functions. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm working uh, with a group inside of the foundation, and it's called Essential Hope, and it's really about men. You know, I, I'm working with uh, two former WSU athletes. Um, Hamza Abdullah uh, was a football player for them. He played in the NFL as yep. well. And uh, B.J. Williams, who, who's a star cornerback for them too. We're also working with Amir Abdullah, who's a present NFL player right now. And what we're saying is all of those three men went through issue with suicide attempts, hmm. uh, losing people in their lives, and didn't talk about it for years. And now they're saying the damage it has done to us and it's continuing to do to particularly men uh, in society is harming us. And so we have to now speak up and say it's okay to speak about it. So uh, we're, we're working on the campaign that, you know, as you described earlier, people, and you did too, people with the greatest influence have the greatest audience. So when you're talking about ex-professional athletes saying, look, I struggle with suicide. You know, my brother took his life. Mm-hmm. You know, I deal with this all the time. It's okay to be, and you use the word vulnerable. Um, um, there's a great program called Can I Be Vulnerable? If you go on the YouTube, you'll find this program called Can I Be Vulnerable? And it's just men, professional athletes, talking about their experience with mental health uh, and, and just opening up for the first time because mm-hmm. someone wanted to hear and was willing to hear and, and not berate them about that. Mm-hmm. And so um, you can get involved with a program called Radical Hope. That's Phil Martin and Pamela Martin. Yeah. Martin and it's really focusing on our young men and women in colleges and how our colleges need to do a better job of, of offering that uh, care for them. They're often away from their families, uh, their friends, uh, the stigma of having to deal with that on a college so campus. I couldn't imagine. We could throw the links in the bio. Absolutely. Couldn't imagine. Share all of this. If yeah. You, if you... And so, and then I would just say during this period of time, check on your friends Yeah. and really check on, you know, like I said, Ben, how are you doing? And don't let them get away with, you know, I'm good, Phil. No, no, really. How are you doing? Yeah. You know, what have you done for yourself this week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really sit there in that. And, and here's the kicker. Don't text them. Call them. Listen to their voice. We're, we're really astute in, in, in language, right? If, I, if you call me and you say, hey, Phil, how are you doing? I go, I'm all right, man. You going to stop? Uh... There you go. You can't do that through text. Yeah. So I challenge you just to call a friend during these times. Hear their voice. Yeah, Let them hear your good, voice. Good advice. Good advice. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, this would probably be my last question unless we want to continue on, because I could keep going. But... So you lose your son, mental health becomes kind of a passion of yours, obviously. Are there things that you've started to implement in your own life? You obviously said counselor. Yes. But I mean, what other things do you do on a daily basis 
to make sure that you're having positive mental health, right? Yeah. We've talked about so for some people it's being in the Word, being in the Bible. For yeah. some people, it's taking time to meditate, exercise. Yeah. What's it look like for you? All of those things you hit on. I, I, I'm a man of faith, um, so uh, so I rely on Scripture uh, to help me through on a daily basis. Um, I engage more with my spouse because mm-hmm. I shut her out for years. I, mm-hmm. I, I harden my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I open up. I be vulnerable. Um, I find something that I like working out. My wife and I like work out. We work out together. Um, I, I get out in nature. You know, I, I wake up at, at five o'clock every morning. Uh, I go out on my deck and just breathe in the air. Look at everything that I have and realize it's enough. It may not be everything I want, mm-hmm. but I woke up that day. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I use my daily check-ins with friends uh, to help. Right. Uh, I'll text friends that are across the nation. I'll text our, our police chief, our fire chief, and just check in. Hey, how you doing? I'm here for you. Those kind of things help uh, uh, me in those situations. So hmm. well, it's um, amazing how selflessness can actually be selfish, right? So you talked about the police chief reaching out to him. You're reaching out to check on him, but you're doing it to make yourself feel good as well. Yes, and it's it's such a beautiful conundrum. I think it forces you to be to be empathetic, to open up, and be yeah. a great uh, active listener, right? Because I phone call, I get to stop and listen. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and it really helps me to, to, to get in touch with my feelings. You, you know, um, we've had That's, a podcast today. I have your contact. I'm going to get yours. Yep. You, you, you might be getting the Friday check in. Don't, it. don't be offended by it, but <laughs> no, I, I, like I want to check on you guys. And, and, and you know, I, 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 I want to know that I care about you guys. And, and yeah, this pandemic is tough, you know? Yeah, no, it is. It, uh, I've said it a few times now. I think this is going to be a pivotal point in people's lives where they look back at it and you're gonna have career changes divorces marriages i mean i've had in in like a four-day period of time i had two marriages i know get called off right i mean so it's like you're having massive life events change like that because people are cracking and i mean yeah i just officiated a marriage uh saturday so that's Uh, cool yeah yeah and and, you know we call the covid connubial um, but you know, it, it did change, right? It, it had to be reduced down to less than thirty people. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, a pandemic can't stop love. Mm-mm. You know, uh, 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 but this podcast is going to spread some love. I hope. I hope. Uh, that's Absolutely. that's my hope. I mean, it's really, brother. I mean, this, this is this fills me up for my day. Good. Uh, to can continue, and again, I, I'm, I'm going to connect. I'm going to do my Friday check-ins. You're going to be like, damn, Phil, I'm good. I told you. Damn. <laughs> I have one more, and yes, we've, we've gotten some pretty cool answers when we've asked people this. One piece of life advice that you would give anybody to serve them well? I would say be childish, not child, or excuse me, be childlike, not childish. Childish is what we're seeing going on in the world today. Mm-hmm. I don't like you because you don't like this. You don't like this, so I don't like you. Childlike is, and you've seen it. You see, you see the videos where the kids are just walking up to each other Inclusive, and hugging, yeah. right? You, you see the kids are like licking on their popsicle and give it to Ben, yeah, right? Yeah. Now, don't do that during COVID, but be childlike, <laughs> right? Childlike is being innocent, uh, open to ex- exploring different things. You know, yeah. you don't yeah. have a, a fear of the other, right? Be loving. Yeah. yeah. So be more childlike, well, not childish. It. I think it comes down to like... like Kids are naive, which is a positive thing. Sure it is. So, and it's like, and we've all been hardened to some degree. So yeah. it's like, if we can just break down the calcium that's hardified us a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, God, look what we're back to. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay saying I'm childlike because I am. I, I want to be kind. I want to be friendly. Yeah. 
and I wish I knew where I'd Well, it had the adventureness of a child, too. Yeah. I, mean, it just I wish happiness. I knew where I read it or heard it. It might even have been a Dave Ramsey thing, but it was uh, always retain your childlike wonder. Yes. Like just be interested in everything, but Love you don't that. have to be committed to everything, right? Mm-hmm. And I, and mm-hmm. I, I embrace it. Every day of my life, I'm, I'm the kid. I go from you know, signing multi-million dollar accounts for, for work to... You know, just doing something stupid, playing a silly prank on someone, <laughs> and giggling like a five-year-old. Yeah, so, laughter is good medicine, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks again. We appreciate you. I think at some point we probably should have you back. Um, this is being I'd be honored for me. One of the most. I was going to say this is yeah, definitely one of the my most favorite recordings so far. Wow. Yeah. So. We'll, uh, we'll thank you guys for listening. We'll say please rate, review, share, do all that stuff on the social media and wherever you listen to your podcast. I think this is one that should be shared. So if you haven't shared one before, this is probably one that needs to be shared. Yeah, and I think probably what we're going to do with this Whether is like you, Nada, take like some us. of the little sound bites and make shorter and post them on social media and, and give context. I think just illuminate mm-hmm. people a little bit. You know, hey, I think often we get stuck in our own little tunnel vision mindset and, and this is going to help some people and yeah truly light up some people's lives i think so it's awesome thank yeah. you thank you guys for having me I, I really it really did enlighten me right i, I come to learn as much as you guys so uh, uh, last question actually oh is there anything you want to ask us Wow. We, we forgot. We always forget this. Yeah. People like, well, before Thank we sign you. off, Thank can we you. ask you a question? Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah we well, let me start by this. Did you give me the golden mic for a reason? <laughs> golden child here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. So really, really, truthfully, they asked you, um, do you, and this is just for my, my edification, do you align with progressive or conservative? And it doesn't matter to me, but what, what if, if, if you align with a certain uh, ideology that I assume that even makes this that much better for Phil Tyler. And I hope it makes it that much better for the listeners because you know what? You don't have to be in agreement with what goes behind your name on a voting ballot to be in agreement with what's going to help and heal our community and build friendship. Was that so? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? <laughs> you go first. All right. I want to say no. I don't, I don't align with conservative or Democrat currently. I come from a country that has left leanings, uh, historically Scot. So I'm, I'm, my mum's Irish background. I was born and raised in Scotland. And both countries have somewhat left leanings in terms of they've always been treated badly by London. So okay. Okay. it was always we wanted our freedom. We wanted to have help each other. Uh, the Labour Party, we championed it from 1950 all the way until 2014 when we had a referendum. We abandoned the Labour Party. Now Scotland is probably going to be an independent country in the next few years. So I came from a super left-leaning country and family, working class, obviously trade unions, things like that. I moved to America. I always tell people I think I embody what technically the American dream is, an immigrant. I work hard. I earn good money, especially for Spokane standards. And I lean left in terms of social programs and I'm also fiscally responsible. I don't see myself as a conservative, but I can see both sides of the argument in most cases. So that's why my answer is no, I don't align behind Democrat or Republican. I certainly lean 
more to the left in terms of I always want to help people and I want to be compassionate but I certainly also see things from the other side knowing that I pay a lot of taxes and I don't think I get value for what I pay but I'm not sure which I think we've basically been given a shit sandwich pardon the, pardon the French <laughs> mm. and told to pick the lesser of two evils rather than pick someone that you can truly get behind and support yes. okay I always tell people that I'm a Republican, or I say I'm like socially liberal, fiscally conservative. But my fiscally conservative side comes before my socially liberal side at the end of it, all because it's like I'm not going to be an advocate for paying for something if we don't have the funds to do it, unless it's really something that is like people are dying in the streets, right? I mean, I was raised by a business owner family, and I mean. We have, I don't know if I've talked about my dad's story ever, but I mean, he came from like three different marriages. I mean, his mom got divorced and single parent for a long time and was raised in a very broken home. And uh, so, but his father, uh, stepdad, had a laundromat, so he learned how to like run a company by cleaning the laundromat on Friday nights, right? Wow. And so then they built the company and bootstrapped it and built it and didn't use debt and did it the right way and have been around 30 plus, well, 33. 34 years in Spokane, you know, employing people. And so the idea when people come to me, and this is my, you know, where they want assistance, sometimes I'm like, you know what? It's like, I've seen it abused too. Like, I've been with Youth for Christ in West Central and Hilliard for, God, 12 years, you know, volunteering with them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and I've seen uh, broken homes, you know. I mean, I remember one of the girls that we worked with had a, she had her own pit bull for fighting. They had multiple meth labs in the house, you know, and her parents were both ex-convicts. So it's like, it's like I've seen the kids. I mean, I've sat with the kids. For four years, I worked with the kids. Wow. And uh, so it, it's hard sometimes because you want to be empathetic to the situations, but you also are like, no, I know that they can, I mean, to say that somebody is behind to me is always kind of interesting. And I was like, that's saying they're lesser almost. It's like it's like you're almost saying like they can't do it because of their situation. I'm like, no, they totally can do it. They just got to work a little harder. I get it. Like you might have, Stephen's heard me say this. I'm like, we all have toolboxes and we all have different tools in our toolboxes. I might have a wrench that you don't have, but I still have to pull the wrench out of my toolbox and twist it. For sure. And my wrench just doesn't twist itself, right? Yeah. So at the end of the day, I'm for people actually taking initiative and taking their own, like doing something for themselves. And so the idea of we're just going to coddle everybody and give them everything. I'm like, eh, no, I don't like that. But I'm also not just all, well, it's all about the money. Let's just be totally fiscal. <laughs> it's like, so I'm a weird hybrid. And, and, and that's the, the, the answers were what I, what I thought. My wife said, oh, I, I think the Stephen might be a conservative guy. I said, no, I, I said, you hadn't had a conversation with him. <laughs> you, 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 I said, I don't think that he is. She goes, what he, was he, he's not progressive. I said, I, I think he's like me an independent. You know, and I'll 100%. vote for whoever is the best person yeah. that, I, that I'm going to vote for. I, 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 I don't even know why we freaking you. have re- political parties on the ballot. It almost just alienates it in a yeah. way. Yeah, it forces us to divide. But what I told my spouse was, I, I'm assuming because they get along and they work so well on the podcast that they both have similar ideologies. I don't think I'm going to find that they're both hardcore Republican. And so that, and I say that all to say, you know, if if we can understand, and you said it wonderfully listen 
to both sides of the argument. That's that mm-hmm. nuance. That's that context. Mm-hmm. We're going to make so much more inroads than if we just hold firm. Okay, right? Now I kind of, I mean, I can guess which side you would lean with your connections in the community, but. I'm, I'm independent. Right? I, I'm a registered uh, Democrat for voting purposes. I was a Democratic elector in 2016, oh, okay, but I'm independent. I vote for Republicans. I vote for Democrats. I vote for the individual who's going to help me and my family. Now I'm kind of nervous to so know what his wife also thought about. Here's the thing, right? That <laughs> we'll ask that one out, fair. that might make people's heads explode, so we may not have any listeners left after this. Oh, great. There are times <laughs> where you talked about looking at both sides where I'm literally right in the middle and I'm like, I have to make a difficult decision just because somebody has to be the one that you support. Yes. And it can be that both sides have valid and compelling arguments and reasons well, you said it to win the way they lead. But then, well, that's not what we have just now. What we have just now, I mean, if you think about the presidential election right now, we have the antithesis of what all of these marches are about, what women's rights is about, what um, LGBT, I mean, all of it has, we have two old white men <laughs> that are relics, that yeah. have very little perspective outside of their own myopic field, right? You're absolutely right. And mm-hmm. like I said, it's a shit sandwich. And You're absolutely record, right. I'm not a citizen yet. I have, I'm a legal resident alien. So thankfully I don't have to vote. I don't have to tie my flag to either one of those wagons. <laughs> That's, that's, that's on you guys. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, okay. but, but, but it was... Thank you for letting me ask that question, though, because I, I, I needed to go back to my wife, and I proved myself right. Um, Prove myself. <laughs> don't listen to the podcast. So you can listen now, baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know that I'm independent. I'm just like... I can't support any of them. I'm causist. Yeah. There you go. Causist. That's a good Pragmatic. One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Opportunistic. I like well, thank you for having me though. 90 oh, gosh, minutes thanks. in. Seriously, this has been 90? one of the most compelling oh, conversations yeah, I think we've had on the podcast. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Mm-hmm. And until the next time, thanks again, Phil. Until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other. Boom.